today could be that day. Listen as the gospel comes out this morning. And then come to Jesus Christ if you still do not know him. Let's just pray as we open God's word. Lord, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for the beautiful truths that come from the very mind of God. Thank you that you've encapsulated these in a book so that we can read it today. So that we can believe what you say. So that we can readjust our thinking and therefore realign our lives to how you would want us to live. And thank you that you've made this all possible because you've given us your Holy Spirit, the one who helps us, the helper, the one who points out to us where we still need to change and then the one who brings that change about in our lives. Give us humble hearts before you now. Help us to put ourselves under your word and to put you above all. Amen. We're going to look at three passages this morning. Um, I want to read the main one that we're studying, Luke chapter 20, verse 27 to 40. Luke chapter 20, verse 27 to 40. Verse 27, there came to Jesus some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children. And the second And the third took her, and likewise all seven left no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died. I think I'd also die if I was that woman. In the resurrection, therefore, whose life will the woman be? Will the woman be? Whose wife, sorry, will the woman be? For the seven had her as wife. And Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die anymore, because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But but that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now, he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him any question. Interesting passage. There's more. Let's turn to the parallel camera on the same event. Mark chapter 12, verse 18 to 27. Mark chapter 12, verse 18 to 27. There's a little detail here we must pick up from Jesus. Mark chapter 12, verse 18 
And the Sadducees came to Jesus who say there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man, a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and when he died, he left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection then, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. Now note Jesus' answer. Jesus said to them, It is not the reason you are wrong. Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. Interesting. Now, the last passage is found in Deuteronomy, Old Testament. Those of you who look for it. Chapter 25 and verse 5 to 10. And it's to do with this question that the Sadducees asked Jesus. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 to 10. There's some weird passages in Scripture. Verse 5. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. Ladies, aren't you just happy that this law is no longer there for us? Amazing. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. And if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go, watch this now, she shall go up to the gate of the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak to him. And if he persists, saying, I do not wish to take her, then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders and pull his sandal off his foot and spit in his face. Let that be a lesson. And she shall answer and say, So shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. And the name of his house shall be called in Israel, the house of him who has his sandal pulled off. Imagine putting that on your gate. <laughs> Alright, where are we going to go with this this morning? A few mythbusters. First, first statement. Marriage is forever, Right? wrong. We'll find out more soon. So there's no escape route either. Listen. Second Miss Buster. When I die, that's it. Many people in this town believe that. We're going to learn a little bit more about the resurrection itself from Jesus' own lips and about what life is going to be like in the resurrection. Interesting. And when I speak about resurrection life, it's very different to the endless cycle of life which Hinduism specifically teaches. Not what we're teaching. 
We live one life, but it's a forever life. It's a straight line through time and into eternity. It's not an endless cycle thing. It's a straight line from now into eternity and then forever. So what is the strategy that these men use to try and bring Jesus down? Remember last time um, we had them trying to trap Jesus. How did they try and trap Jesus? Well, they got the Herodians in there and they tried a political maneuver. And so they asked Jesus a question about paying tax. And then before that the Pharisees were there and they tried to trap Jesus by asking him, where his authority came from. And Jesus answered them with that um, parable about the wicked vine dressers. This time they're going to try another strategy because that hasn't worked. They'd failed to nail Jesus. And so the Sadducees come along. They were a third grouping of religious leaders. Who were the Sadducees? Well, They believed in the five books of Moses as being superior to the rest of the Old Testament that had been given to them. And so they basically only studied the five books of Moses. What are the five books of Moses? Anyone remember? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They studied those five books. And that's it. And so they were going to try to use try to use theology to catch Jesus out and the intricate knowledge of those five books. What is theology, by the way? Theology is the study of theos. The study of God. Theosology. The study of God. And when you put the study of God into words, we get what we call doctrine. So doctrine is not such a bad thing. I often hear people saying, oh no, I don't want to go into doctrine. Well, if you're not going into doctrine, what are you actually doing? Because it is the study of God. So it's very, very important. But they were going to try and use their studies of theology, their doctrine, to try and trick Jesus, the one who had given mankind all doctrine. So they're kind of up against a losing battle here. The Sadducees were the liberals of their day. Acts chapter 23 verse 8 says that they didn't believe in angels, the existence of angels. I hope you do. Otherwise you're a Sadducee. They didn't believe in spirits. They didn't believe that souls were immortal and that once you died your soul carried on living. And they also didn't believe in the bodily resurrection after death. So those were the Sadducees. And because they didn't believe in the bodily resurrection, here's a little kid's rhyme, that's why they were so sad, you see. Alright, you going to remember now? Okay. But like the, liberals, like the liberals of today, they also had an audience that followed them around. You see, liberals of today gained so much traction because people don't know God's word. And when people don't know God's word, when they hear teachings come across their way, they can't just judge whether these are true or not because they don't know the source, God's word. Same in those days. 
So the Sadducees come to Jesus. We're going to catch him. Now, you need to know something else about the Sadducees. There was a love-hate relationship between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Yes, they were all religious. But wherever the Sadducees could get at the Pharisees, they did. And wherever the Pharisees could get at the Sadducees, they liked it. So watch what happens here. It's quite humorous, actually. And so the Sadducees approach Jesus, verse 28 to 33. And they say to Jesus, Teacher, Moses wrote for us, and then they carry on. They were claiming Moses as their big hero. And if Moses said it, Lord, you'd better listen up. And so they're going to try and catch Jesus on this one of the books of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, which they thought they knew very well. And they're going to try and show Jesus that the resurrection can't be true because it doesn't measure up to Moses' teachings and it would create a ridiculous difficulty if it was true. So how do they do that? Take note of this. It's a strategy that the liberals still use today. And so they come at Jesus with this argument about this man who dies with no male heir. And that's very, very important in Israel because if you had no male heir, your family line would die out right there. So they said, if this man dies and he hasn't got a son, well then the brother of his, the wife of his brother needs to, hang on, the the wife of this man needs to marry her brother-in-law who must try and give her a son and that son will then be seen as the son of the original brother so that the family line can continue. And they based it on Deuteronomy 25, that passage we read together about the woman slapping the guy and spitting in his face. It also reminds us of the story of Ruth. Remember Ruth and Boaz? It was based on this rule. And you can read that for yourselves, Ruth chapter 4. And so they try the strategy, a hypothetical tactic, an argument to the nth or the extreme degree. So they say to Jesus, Jesus, Let's just imagine, they say, that this man hasn't, doesn't just, he has his wife, but it's not just one husband that's involved, it's seven husbands who consecutively die, and seven was, Jesus knew, seven was the number four, this could continue forever in the argument, to the nth degree, extreme, there's no husband, uh, there's no more husband, and therefore no more heir. What happens to the woman in the end? When she's resurrected, as you say, there's a resurrection in the new life, by your own rules, and whose husband, whose wife will she be? Because there's seven husbands involved. We've got it. We've got a slam dunk question. How's he going to get out of this one? And you can nearly hear them gloating. Because they thought they knew Deuteronomy. They thought they knew what Moses had taught But when we look carefully, and Jesus points to this in the passage in Mark, they were making two basic assumption errors. The first is this. Their logic, they believe, disproved a real resurrection. Just because their logic worked in a a certain way, they thought that disproved a real resurrection. People still use that today. They think... Just because I understand my argument, that means it must be real. Second thing, they thought that the afterlife is just like this life. 
What about if it's different? And that's what Jesus uses, you see. And he's going to prove to them and teach us that the afterlife is not like this life. And we must adjust our beliefs. Because there are many people today who have never heard what Jesus speaks about here because they haven't been studying his word. And so Jesus picks up from there, verse 34. And he points to the the root of their problem. You see, as supposed experts in the scriptures, they did not know the scriptures, says Mark, chapter 12. Jesus says, you do not know the scriptures as you think you do, you Sadducees. And secondly, he points to an even bigger thing. He says, you do not believe in the power of God. You do not know the power of God, neither in your lives and in your beliefs. You belittle who God is. And so there were two things that they were in error of. They were ignorant and they were unbelieving. Same things today. Those who would come against God's word are ignorant and they might be the cleverest professors out, but they are ignorant before God's word and they have unbelieving hearts because they do not believe in the power of God to do what he says he will do. And so they are ignorant of God's word. Today people will will use unproven arguments, cliched ones like God kills innocent people in the Bible so I can't believe in that type of God. That's one they often use. And they were unbelieving. We often find that in the creation versus old earth evolution debate. There might be some of you who don't believe that God created this earth in six literal days. I want to challenge you this morning. How big is your God? How powerful is your God? Do you deny His power? Is God not powerful enough to create the world in a literal six days? You know, for God to create the world in six days, He was actually taking His time. Because He could have created it in one breath, in one word. Everything could have been there. Is He not that powerful? If we don't believe that, we believe in a small God. Unbelief, you see. It's rampant even in the church. We need to watch what we believe. We need to put what we believe under what God says. If God says, I created the earth in six days, then he did. Who are we to question him? That's a whole other sermon. What else do we learn here? Well, some really interesting things. If you look at verses 34 to 38 again, Jesus teaches us about marriage after the resurrection. And he teaches us about the resurrection life itself. So let's look at this marriage after the resurrection. Men, are you listening? You see, Jesus often spoke about resurrection all over Scripture. He spoke about resurrection. But there's limited information in Scripture about the details of resurrection life. And I think there's a reason for that. God wants us to not know everything so that one day when it appears before us, it's going to be amazing. Do you look forward to the resurrected life? I thank the Lord that I don't know every single thing about the because it'd kind of be kind of boring. I could kind of prepare myself for this, 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 and this. God wants us to be to know that there is the resurrection life. He's given us some limited information about it, but He's going to reveal it all to us. And when it is, it's going to be like one big gift He opens up to us. 
and we're going to stand there with no words. Wow. What does he say about marriage? His teaches in verse 36 that when people die, when they die physically, then we become like angels. Now please listen to me. I'm not saying, and Jesus isn't saying that we become angels. There are many, many Christians who think that when we die, we become angels. And God sends us back to the earth and we go and do what he says. No, no, angels have been created. There are no more angels to be created. He's created them. When we die, we become like angels. What does he mean by that? We get eternal life. Angels will live into eternity. We will never die again. Angels don't die. We won't marry in heaven. Angels don't get married. Jesus says so. I go with what he says. They don't get married. So there's no Mrs. Gabriel. So Jesus says, when you die, there is no more death when you die. Because you are immediately resurrected. And when you're resurrected and there's no more death, then there's no more need for birth. Follows logic here. And if there's no more need for birth, therefore there's no more marriage in heaven. Procreation is not going to happen in heaven. I'm sorry to say. Because it's a beautiful gift God gives to us now. But in heaven it's not going to be like that. There's something else we learn about marriage. Marriage is only bound to this earth. Now you ladies are sitting up. You see, Jesus says marriage is bound to this earth. Why? Because marriage is is for us to help each other through this life, isn't it? That's what you promised when you married that day standing in your white garments. You got married and you said those oaths, I will be with you through better or worse. We are to be helpmates to each other while we walk through this life. And also, Scripture teaches us, Ephesians 5 and also Revelation 22, that marriage, the bond between a husband and wife, is a picture of Christ and His bride, the church. And so when we are with Christ, that picture is no longer necessary, because we'll be with Him. And so Jesus says, there will be no more marriage in heaven. It's kind of strange to think. So when we die, I'm married to Alice, when we die, when we are resurrected, Alice will no longer be my wife. That's startling. But that's what Jesus is teaching. I'll recognize her. I'll know she used to be my wife, but there's a different relationship that will now exist because we will both be looking to Jesus Christ. He is the one who will be at the center of our attention. Is that an amazing thought? This is radical stuff we're looking at this morning. If you thought that you were married forever into eternity, well, Jesus says, no, you're married till you die. And then that picture's over. There's something better waiting for you when you're resurrected. Amazing? Jesus is proclaiming truth. If Jesus says so, we need to adjust our beliefs. You might never have thought of this before, but Jesus has taught us this truth. So change your belief. It's very important to change your belief. If you don't, you become like a Sadducee.
You see, the problem with the Sadducees is they had insufficient knowledge of what Scripture was teaching on marriage in the resurrection. And so, both their question and their argument on marriage is blown right out of the water. It's irrelevant. But Jesus isn't finished, you see. He still teaches them. He's teaching them about the resurrection itself too. What can we learn from Jesus about the resurrection? Are you taking notes? We need to know what's going to happen to us. The little bits we do know, let's pay attention to them. What's it going to be like, that moment when you die and you are resurrected if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Jesus says, you won't get resurrected by your own merit, but you will get resurrected by the sovereign grace of God alone. Verse 35, look at this beautiful verse. Note it. He says, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead will neither marry or be given in marriage. Don't miss it there. When Jesus says those who are worthy to receive resurrection, what, does he mean that you've lived such a good life that Jesus says, that God says he's lived such a good life, I must resurrect that person. You'll be an asset in heaven. No. It's in God's working that He chooses us and that He brings us through this life. He takes us through death and He is the one who will raise us up to the resurrection. It's because of the worth He sees, not ours. That's very important. It's very humbling. Nothing that I can do can bring me to that place. When I close my eyes in death, I can't do anything anymore. God must act from there. If God doesn't act, I'm lost. There's another thing, note at verse 36. He speaks about, he picks up on the heirs idea. He says these, these men were so worried about their heirs being reproduced. Well, God says when you die and when you are rect- resurrected, verse 36, you become heirs or sons of God. What an inheritance. We die in death. We are resurrected to be heirs of God himself. Verse 36. There's something that happens there to us. There's a new badge that you wear over your whole life. What is it? We become sons of the resurrection. We become sons of the resurrection. We become sons of God. Isn't that amazing? The picture over your life when God looks at you in the resurrected state is, you are my son. You are a son of the resurrection. Come into heaven and be with me. I hope there's hope for you this morning. I hope you know Jesus Christ. Because if you don't know Jesus Christ, the the news is you too will be resurrected. But the only picture God will see over your life, because all people will be resurrected to new life, the picture God will see over your life is no blood of His Son. You are standing there on your own strength. And God will say to you, away from me. I never knew you. Depart. 
and you'll be thrown into eternity's hell. These aren't my words. God speaks about this in His Word. And then Jesus carries on. He says, the resurrection is not a new idea. Your big hero, Moses, he also spoke about it, you Sadducees. I'll show you. You know that passage in the Torah that he speaks about the burning bush? And Jesus was speaking about Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, where Moses appears before the Lord. He sees this burning bush. He goes closer to see what's happening with this burning bush because generally a bush burns up. But this one just carried on burning. And when he stands before the bush, God's voice comes out to him from that burning bush. Remove your sandals because the ground you are standing on is holy ground. God was there. That's the passage Jesus is referring to. He says to them, the Sadducees, Moses knew that God was speaking about a God of the living, a God of the resurrection right there, because he mentions the patriarchs. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the long dead ones. Was God saying, I'm God of a pile of old bones? Why would he be God of a pile of old bones? No, God was speaking about the, the patriarchs who would be resurrected to new life. And therefore he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And he's speaking to Moses. You see the connection? And so even God there was speaking about resurrection life. And so you Sadducees, you do not know God's word. God speaks about the resurrection. How can you then say you do not believe in the resurrection? You are not even keeping up with your hero, Moses. Where are you? You're lost. The wonderful truth that we hear here this morning is that the same God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob has revealed himself, listen to this, as the unchangeable, eternal, covenant-keeping God who blesses, who loves, who encourages and protects his people and of and whose favours do not suddenly stop when someone dies, but his favours continue with that person beyond death. I say amen to that. This is the unchangeable God that I put my hope in. The one who's the same God, the one who was there for those, those patriarchs. That same God, the unchangeable one, will be there the moment I close my eyes in death. Think of that picture of Stephen. New Testament, right? What happened the moment Stephen was about to die? He was being stoned by people for proclaiming that he belonged to Jesus Christ. Scripture says he looked up. And what did he see? He saw Jesus in his resurrected state, standing there, waiting for him. The same unchangeable God. The moment you and I close our eyes in death and we don't know who's going to die next. Don't look around you and look at the old people. We could die next. There are small graves and big graves. Marty will tell you. But know this. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if he's got your soul in his hands, the moment you close your eyes in death, Jesus will be there for you too. Trust Him. He will be there. You won't wake up and there's just darkness. 
He will be there for you. If you belong to Him, there's hope, you see. And then we end with this mixed humor. Verse 39 to 40. Read this with me. Then some of the scribes, that is the Pharisees who were scribes too, answered Jesus, Jesus, you have spoken well. Why were they so happy? Because Jesus had put the Sadducees in their place. But Jesus doesn't leave it there. We're not going to do that now, but in the next passage, Jesus goes right back to the Pharisees again and speaks to them. And therefore, verse 40, because of Jesus' answers, no one dared to ask him any more questions. They dared to challenge the one who gave them God's word in his own arena. And they lost. One big no to Jesus. So we need to ask ourselves a few questions based on this complicated story of seven husbands. First question I want to ask you is this this morning. As you sit here this morning, right in front of me, will you be raised from the dead? And the answer to that, whether you're a believer or not, is emphatically, yes you will. Believer or unbeliever, you will be raised to new life. But two very different outcomes after that. You see, God's Word tells us so. That is the reason I believe it. There's no other reason I have to say, believe what God says. He says so in His Word. Believe it. It's a central question to the Christian faith. If we are not resurrected, we are of all people most to be pitied. Because then we've been duped. Paul speaks about this in 1 Corinthians. And I want you to turn there with me because it's got relevance to every single one of us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 to 19. What does the Apostle Paul say? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, chapter 15, verse 12. Listen to this. This is going to happen to you and I. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? That was the Corinthian-specific issue they were working through. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Follow his logic. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God. In other words, we are liars if that is the case. Because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, whom He did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. And then he carries on with a beautiful verse, verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Christ has gone before us to show us the way. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. And because Christ was raised from the dead, we too will be raised from the dead. He is our evidence. Have hope today. 
When you close your eyes, Christ will be there. You will be resurrected to new life. And note here, we don't just go to heaven. We become heirs of God. Remember looking in this passage? We don't just go to heaven and that's it. We become heirs of God. We are transformed, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 49. He says, just as we have also borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. When you and I are resurrected to new life, we will bear the image of the man of heaven. We will bear Jesus Christ all over us because his blood covers us. What a hope to hope for. God is, you see, a God of living people. Those who have gone before us may be dead to us, but to God they are very much alive. If you've lost a spouse, if you've lost someone that you've loved, very dear to you, there is hope here. God will raise them up too. And you will see each other again because of the resurrection. It's an unbroken and a glorious relationship that exists between God and us. God and those who have put their faith in Him. I want to turn to another passage because this is such an important uh, topic. Romans chapter 8. Again Paul speaking. Listen to what he says. Romans chapter 8, verse 35 to 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I don't know what you're going through at this moment in your life. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Here's the phrase, through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. My question to you is, are you in Christ Jesus our Lord? If you are, you will be raised to new life. God's promise to you, believe it and trust it. The second question I want to ask you this morning is this, and these are shorter. Why should we, you and I, care about theology and doctrine? You want to be a Sadducee? You see, the Sadducees were, had an incorrect understanding of biblical truth. Now listen to this. Because they didn't understand biblical truth properly, that led to something. It led to incorrect assumptions about what God was teaching. And that led to something. Because they had incorrect assumptions that led to incorrect beliefs about what God said. And because they had incorrect beliefs, that led to incorrect living before God. Do you see the logic? If you don't know what God's Word says, you won't understand it properly. And then, because you don't understand it properly, you won't live a right life before God. So we need to know God's Word. We need to know theology. We need to know doctrine. And that's why we preach here Sunday by Sunday. That's why our children are in Sunday school classes. That's why we should all be studying God's Word in whatever form that takes. We need to be studying God's Word so that we can understand properly and live properly before Him. 
I want to raise a concern with you as a pastor here. You appointed me to do both of these things, to encourage and to raise concerns. I want to raise a concern. The Sunday school teachers, junior church, have been coming to me and I've noticed this too. Our children no longer know God's Word and they no longer know the basics of God's Word. What does that mean? As parents, we are no longer teaching God's Word. Dave last week encouraged fathers, take up the task God has given to you. It's your primary responsibility. Fathers, are you teaching God's Word to your children? If not, you are disobedient to God and there will be repercussions to that down the line. Our children don't know God's Word. The basics. We can't just rely on junior church. We've got to be teaching. Our primary responsibility as parents is to teach God's Word to our children. Don't leave it to others. Because if we don't, they will end up living lives not based on God's Word because they don't know it. And whose fault will that be? Third question I want to ask you is this. Are you perhaps playing games with Jesus? What do I mean by that? Well, you see, like the Sadducees, they came to Jesus with these supposed clever questions based on insufficient knowledge of Scripture. Maybe you've got your pet question that you keep putting in front of Jesus. And because he hasn't answered that specific question for you, you're not going to believe. I want to appeal to you today, if you've got a pet question, go and look for the true answer to that question and go and look for the true answer and search and search and search and search until you come to the true answer to that question because in the end you will land up on the truth. And the truth is unchanging and the truth never varies and the truth will point back to Jesus Christ as your only hope for salvation. But you must find that answer. Don't come and land up in the resurrection one day and when God says, what reason have you got to stand here? You say, well, I don't, never believed in you because of this question. Because you will still go to an eternity in hell. If you are honest in your search, put your pet questions aside. Find those answers. The answer will lead you to Jesus Christ. He says so. He's promised you, those who search for me and search for me with all their hearts, will find me. But you need to do that homework. Go and find Jesus. He will find you in that process. The grace of God at work. And then lastly, if you're married, and this is real short, but listen, are you appreciating your marriage now? If you're married here today, and not everyone is, but if you are, are you appreciating your marriage now? Spouses, with all our good stuff and bad stuff. Do we appreciate each other? We're going to have a changed relationship one day. I don't know if we're allowed to hug each other in heaven. I don't know. But we're going to have a changed relationship one day. It's not going to be the same. We need to appreciate each other. Don't live by that little false assumption, my wife will always be there for me even in heaven. There will be no more marriage in heaven, says the Lord. Instead, we will have resurrection life with so much more than we expect. If you want to know a little bit more, and here's some free advertising again. 
I've really found this book beautiful. Randy Alcorn's written this book called Heaven. And what he's done in this book, and you can see, right? Quite large print. Um, he's gone and he's taken all the passages about the resurrection life and heaven and put it together. And it's beautiful to read. What's life going to be like? If you'd like to borrow it, I'm still finishing it, and then I'll lend it to you. But I've got a second copy as well. So see me. I want to leave us with these words from Psalm 16. And this is David speaking about the resurrection. Psalm 16, verse 10 to 11. I've got it up back here for you. For you, capital letter, the Lord, you will not leave my soul among the dead in Sheol. Or allow your Holy One. Now David is speaking about him, but in the original it's capital letters used there. Speaking about predicting Jesus Christ. Or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Old Testament guy speaking about resurrection. But what truth? God will not allow us to keep on rotting in the grave forever. There will come a day when Christ appears, when we will hear His voice and He will gather all our molecules together and that amazing miracle of creation will happen once again. He will give us new bodies and then we will be with the Lord forever. I look forward to that day. Trust in the power of God for your resurrection. Study God's Word so that you know the truth. Just your life to live by it. Push aside your clever comebacks of God and humble yourself before the all-knowing God. And men, last word for you. Pick up your clothes. No one's going to do it for you in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, thank you for the hope to be found in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the hope to be found in the truth that you give us. Lord, help us now to go and look for that truth, to believe it, and then to live by it, by the strength you give us. It's all of your grace. And Lord, on that great day, when we hear your voice, when we see Jesus Christ, we will know that it's all of you and nothing of us. I pray for any here that are still going through life on their own, who have no hope in the life hereafter. Lord, I plead, do your work. Through your Holy Spirit, draw them to see the beauty and the hope of Jesus Christ. May they come to you and be saved today while there is still time.